Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In this episode of our DC podcast series, policy advisors John Cezala and Darian Flowers bring their On the Other Side of 25 perspective to what lies ahead for the 2017 congressional calendar. Brownstein Strategic Advisor Senator Mark Begich moderates a discussion that covers how the new health care bill could influence the timing of tax reform, bipartisan excitement about infrastructure, and how the debt ceiling could come into play. This is Mark Begich. I'm the former senator from Alaska, and now I'm a strategic advisor to Brownstein. Today, I'm joined by John Cezala and Darian Flowers. John Cezala is a policy advisor, is well known for his work in the financial service arena, where he has helped bank and non-bank product and service providers navigate the House Financial Services Committee and Senate Banking Committee. Darren Flowers is a policy advisor also, joins Brownstein from the office of Senator Bill Cassidy and a Republican from Louisiana, where he acted as Senator Cassidy's principal staff member for aviation, commerce, science, transportation, technology, homeland security, infrastructure, housing, telecommunications, and government affairs issues. For our clients, you have an incredible amount of energy and knowledge that is very valuable. And when you think about where we are today in Congress, and as we're sitting here right this moment, they're they're voting on health care, which is kind of like keep it's it's the Groundhog Day it keeps coming back, but this time it's gonna something's gonna happen on the House side, but it has financial impacts that aren't real clear. And when you think of the many other issues that Congress has to deal with, how do you guys see this impacting on the financial end? And either one of you, John or Darian, want to jump in and just give me your thoughts here? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I think it's actually twofold. I think there are financial impacts, as you said, uh, that are important. You know, repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act is viewed as a primer starter for moving on to tax reform. Some of the money that would be saved through uh, health care legislation would then filter into how they go about restructuring the tax code. But beyond just some of those financial issues, I actually think it, and budgetary issues, I think it has other impacts just in terms of momentum. You know, when you look back through the first 100 days of the administration, a lot of the legislative wins were what I would call small ball. Uh, You know, there was a lot of use of the Congressional Review Act, some small things uh, that went through, such as an extension of uh, the deadline for the Veterans Choice Act. But you haven't really seen any major home runs yet, uh, either in terms terms of tax reform or infrastructure or health care, which we're debating right now. So, you know, the all likelihood is that the House will be able to move its health care bill uh, this week, which sets up some action on those other issues. But how that plays out in the Senate, I think, is uh, yet to be determined. Do you think, Darian, that kind of getting off the House agenda, does this open the door then the House to start really doing tax reform? Or, you know, we don't know what the health care bill will cost or not cost. Or are we back into, as, as John was saying, just as these kind of small balls, you know, small hits that we're going to have? Or What's the play, do you think? You know, Senator, I think that this is going to create an opportunity then for the House leadership to move on to the other big ticket items that it wants to get uh, accomplished in this you know first Trump administration. I think that this is really going to you're going to see a shift to then uh, more of kind of the growth and opportunity agenda uh, items that the Republican leadership's looking for. You know the the majority leader said this morning that he's optimistic about the prospects for tax reform um, because of the fact that that the conference is going to be united in, in its front to uh, to you know create a climate for economic growth and so do, do you think it's it's a you know lots of people when they talk about tax reform they say well they talk a big talk and then it's just a little tweak here and there do you think this is a moment 
you know, the bill, the tax extended bill was done with at some point. So now this is really about reform. Do you think it's big or do you think it's that's the attempt and then it just gets scaled back based on the economics of it? Because it seems like this, no matter what you do here, it's going to cost money. Absolutely. I mean, there's going to be a cost to this, but I think that uh, anything that this Congress does, I think, is going to be substantive um, and and substantial. I think that the fact is, is uh, that both on the corporate side and the individual side, that you're going to see uh, an attempt by this Congress, and particularly the House leadership and the House conference, to advance the ball forward on substantive, significant tax reform because of the fact that for the last eight years, uh, in a uh, without controlling the White House, that this kind of package um, just wasn't able to to come come to fruition. But you've got a White House that's now going to be a willing participant and a president that prefers substantial wins, as he likes to say. That uh, that the, he wants the is, home runs. He wants the home runs. He wants this environment to be one that he is something that is um, overarching and something that he can take uh, a lot of credit for to say that that advanced the ball forward. So let me let me ask you, John. Do you think that the the president who likes home runs maybe should read the book, you know, Moneyball, because sometimes base hits win you the long game. But um, do you think, you know, he laid out a tax concept or structure, at least, do you think that's where people start or do they look, you know, is there this push and pull with the president now that Congress will just kind of run with the show and maybe take a little bit of what he's doing? How does his his tax proposal, that's a, you know, I think that's what he's always wanted to do anyway. Healthcare was like, I made that campaign promise, got to get off the table, but tax reform where his play is. I agree with that. And I, I think that's comments I've made to clients of ours is that you know, health care is something that was more or less dropped in the president's lap. Obviously, it was a big campaign issue, and it's been a campaign issue for the Republican Party ever since it was enacted. But that's really not where the president is most interested, uh, but something that I think he realizes that as part of the Republican Party, something that needs to be addressed. I think tax reform is much more in his realm of issues that he's aware with and would like to see progress on, um, you know, picking up on what Darian said, I think we're going to see an aggressive large tax reform proposal come out of the gate. But I do think it's going to some extent be driven by Congress, at least on the substance. You know, the uh, one page proposal that we saw come out of the administration in late April uh, was really high level, didn't have a lot of specific proposals behind it. And some of the things that I just think are to a degree, non-starters. You know, the president laid out a 15% tax rate for corporations, which I think most members of Congress realizing uh, getting to 15% would have a substantial impact on the deficit. And while it's possible that tax reform could decrease revenues to some extent, you know, a multi-trillion dollar unpaid for tax reform plan, I, I just don't think that Republicans, uh, well, Democrats, but also Republicans, conservative Republicans, are really there to see another Bush-era type unpaid for tax reform. So what we're looking at is, you know, in the near future, the House Ways and Means Committee is going to begin hearings on their tax reform proposal, which is yet to be published. Uh, one of their first hearings is going to be about border adjustability, uh, which is actually less of a partisan issue, uh, and it is much more of a constituency-based geographic issue, depending on whether you have retailers, importers, exporters in your district, and what it means for them. So, you know, that's one of the main issues that is going to be kind of discussed, debated, and prodded early on. But I'm expecting really the House Ways and Means Committee to take 
an early leadership role in putting out some substance. I think the Senate is largely, the Senate Finance Committee is largely holding its power for the time being. Um, But we should expect to see some more uh, proposals and engagement coming out of the White House. Everyone knows tax reform is a difficult thing to do, and I would argue without uh, the leadership of the White House and the president, it's an impossible thing to do. To that end, I think to John's point that I think you're going to see from this Republican unified government is the fact that everyone using their respective strengths. This president's strength is using the power of the presidency, virtually the bully pulpit, uh, to go out and speak to the American people and say, you know, this is the plan that we've come up and generate excitement. I think that that's this president's strength, and I think that that's something that he's very comfortable with, that he's shown throughout when he was a candidate and also now as president-elect and then in his first 100 days. This, this is an environment that he's very comfortable with uh, in that role and using the bully pulpit. And so I think the fact is, is that you're probably going to see more of that coming from the administration and then the minutia of the policy expertise coming from the Congress right. uh, and working in collaboration, all rowing in the same direction, though, for this united goal. Let me ask you, we're going to have two groups that are going to obviously be pivotal. There'll be the Freedom Caucus out of the House side, and then there'll be uh, obviously the Democrats, uh, unless they do this through reconciliation, which was the Bush cuts were done through reconciliation. So let's assume for a moment it's not reconciliation. So how do these two play into? You got the Freedom Caucus that probably is very supportive to a certain extent of corporate reform, uh, less taxes, less corporate deductions, because they just want kind of a simple system, but they're also deficit hawks. And then you have the Democrats who have a list of their needs for what they would consider their middle class kind of categories. So how do they play in this arena? And maybe, you know, on the House side, the first play is going to be the Freedom Caucus, right? I mean, they're going to have some voice here in what this looks like. How do you see either Darian or John? How do you see this, John? Well, I think one of the things in your correct flag, you know, as long as tax reform, I think, is being originated out of the House, uh, you know, if it were to go on reconciliation, you know, there needs to be a second FY 2018 budget reconciliation move through the budget committee. Uh, where the Freedom Caucus actually has a substantial number of seats. Right, and there's a already, huge play in that. And there's a lot of concern there, um, right? Because you know, if you remember when the Tea Party wave came into office, it, it was a little bit about health care, a little bit about taxes, but it was largely about you know the deficit, deficit. and big government. Yeah, which um, you haven't heard much about. Correct. Right? And I think when you also look at their individual districts, um, you know, for some of them, you're going to see less of these large C-corps uh, and more maybe individual and pass-through business businesses and right. small businesses in which it becomes important to not only address the corporate side, but address the individual side. So I think that's why the House Ways and Means Committee is going to move forward with a comprehensive package out of the gate. But you know, it has long been the vision of Chairman Brady and I believe Speaker Ryan to do a revenue neutral tax reform package. Uh, that's very hard. Which means uh, you can't get to 15% corporate. Mm-hmm. No. There's no way. The math won't work unless you wipe out basically all deductions on both ends, individual and corporate, because you got to get that money somewhere. Correct. However, I think that even, you know, I think that 15% wall is probably the, the stated goal. The fact is, is that getting the rate south of 25% uh, is, or even to 20%, is going to be seen by this Congress as a win because of the fact that that's a significant drop from the drop, 35 plus uh, from 35 plus. And so the fact is, is that maybe that's the stated goal. But the fact is, is that whatever we see ultimately manifesting in the 20 to 25 percent range, you'll see from the business community as a as a significant win. And I think, Senator, to your point, the, the fact is that the Freedom Caucus um, 
and to John's point about the makeup of their districts in terms of the of the industry, that they are going to have um, priorities that tend to be probably actually more on the individual side, seeing relief uh, f- for individuals uh, and these different types of corporations, different types uh, of structures of businesses, um, I think that that's going to be a, a big priority. So that's going to be the limited liability corporations, limited liability par- or limited partnerships, uh, those types of uh, sub-S corporations. Yes. Those are what they're going to really... And I think to the second part of your question, so obviously the Freedom Caucus is going to play a major role in the House, but you know, in the, in the Senate, if you are doing a bill outside of reconciliation, which there are some Republicans who don't want a 10-year tax bill done through budget reconciliation. They want something that's permanent. Um, You know, you're looking at needing eight Democrats to pass anything. Right. Uh, And for Democrats, I think there's, um, you know, there's obviously a little bit of a stick and concern that there are a lot of Democrats currently up for reelection in 2018 in states in which Trump won. But there's also a carrot that can be involved here, which is where people begin the discussion about infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, On both sides of the aisle, there's support for a broad infrastructure package and to some extent doing so through repatriation of foreign earnings back to the United States. Of course, the issue becomes, and this is where the two sides are in a little bit of counterpositions, but as you know, so long as you put infrastructure spending into a tax reform package, that is now money that goes away from reducing rates and creating a revenue neutral package. So it becomes difficult. You know, you aid one side and you might hurt the other. Let me dive into a little bit of infrastructure for the, the time we have left here, and that is, you know, it's always intrigues me when I read. Um, people say Democrats want infrastructure. Actually, I've never seen Republicans not yeah. wanting. They want infrastructure, right? They, everyone it's wants infrastructure. Bipartisan. It's broadly bipartisan. So is, do you think there is, and think about the tax as you've just described it, but it seems like infrastructure is it's almost like the one that everyone could easily get around, but it's the one that keeps getting kind of pushed behind everything. You know, it's first health care, now tax reform. But maybe there's a play here that they focus on infrastructure. I mean, from what you all are hearing, you know, you, you, you know, as folks here working in Brownstein, you're on the Hill a lot. You're talking to folks. You're talking to offices. You're trying to hear what's going on. Where is this infrastructure conversation? Is it it's there, but but there's there's not a, a push. What what are you hearing as you go out there, working for clients at Brownstein and getting this information? What are you hearing? What's the you know, Senator, I am hearing a lot of excitement, both uh, from congressional offices, uh, but also from clients. The, the fact is... About is, infrastructure. About this infrastructure. Is an opportunity. That this is an opportunity. Two of your former colleagues are, are really setting up, um, or have just recently introduced a bill, the Regulatory Accountability Act, mm-hmm. Senator Portman, Senator Heitkamp, yep. uh, that looks at this, this it issue. Seems to get some, it's starting to get some traction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is a real... If the Senate can process this bill and then get it through the House, the fact is, is that um, this is is going to be the step in the right direction mm-hmm. for infrastructure because the fact is is that you and I both know and the, the fact is is that if the president's serious about a uh, trillion dollars worth of infrastructure spending, the fact is is that we're only going to get five hundred billion dollars worth of stuff at the current structure of our permitting mm-hmm. process. And the fact is is and that finished product and finished product. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And the fact is is that this is a serious issue that the Congress is going to have to look at because the fact is is that if there is an opportunity to really 
do these kind of massive projects, mm-hmm. the way that they come into fruition is almost more critical than actually putting no, no shovel into earth. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there's a, a broad uh, coalition of senators that are definitely looking at this. The Environment and Public Works Committee yesterday had a hearing. Commerce Committee had a hearing. The fact is there's a lot of interest in this topic. I will say, though, that um, I think that the Congress is looking for direction from the administration. Mm-hmm. Um, the president said a trillion dollars. And if I was in the Senate, say a trillion, that's all I need. Exactly. That's the direction I need. <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> they're, they're, but folks are looking for a direction from the administration. So I think that they're, that they're looking to Secretary Chow and others, mm-hmm. the National Economic Council, Director Cohen, to say, please show us some specifics of what you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's what they would encourage them to, to say. Piggybacking off of what Darian said, I, I think there's excitement on both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans I talked to. And also, you know, in specifics of how, you know, it becomes difficult and how this is funded. But there's, you know, interest. I mean, the administration has actually indicated some interest in increasing the gas tax, uh, which I think was unexpected by a lot of Republicans. But mm-hmm. then also in unique and alternative funding models, uh, such as, you know, an infrastructure bank or public-private partnerships. Two things I would flag. One, to Darian's point about having a lot of client interest, that's because of the breadth of what an infrastructure package could entail. I think people hear infrastructure and they like to think roads, bridges, but it's really tunnels, a lot of things. But it's a lot of other things, including things like broadband deployment to social rural America or social infrastructure. Could um, be schools, which is rarely done by the federal government. Absolutely. But talked about, the president has talked about that. Absolutely. Schools, and libraries, hospitals. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the more interesting things that I've heard about uh, infrastructure starting to ruminate is that whether or not an infrastructure package could signal the return of earmarks. Right, that you would maybe stop <laughs> short of having specific dollars authorized and allocated to a bridge in Alaska, per se. But you might but have a program. You would have programs <laughs> specifically dedicated to programs that members looking at 2018, while the shovel might not be in the ground yet, as Darian said, they can you know, do a ribbon cutting and say, this is where we're going to have a new XY facility or broadband deployment or a school or what have you. You know, you think about you still got Dodd-Frank, you got some FAA issues, higher education, but let's talk about one, just briefly, and I, I, I sense this is no longer an issue, but maybe it will be, and that is um, the debt ceiling is almost like non-existence in conversation. It kind of pops for a day, then disappears. It's almost like, I know the Secretary of Treasury has said, you know, he is not going to default or does not want to default. Um, do you, you know, two years, three years ago, you know, this was like the battle, right? Do you think that's going to play anywhere in any of these when you think of Healthcare, tax reform, infrastructure, these money bills, as well as some others that are coming down the pike. Do you think that plays or is it just kind of no longer the hot button issue and people have said, okay, the, you know, the, the credit card has been used. We got to pay the bill. What, what's the feeling out there? What are you hearing? Yeah, so I think to a large extent, this is going to be dictated by uh, members of the Freedom Caucus, as mm-hmm. we discussed before. You know, people that came to office and increasingly used the debt ceiling as an opportunity to try to reduce federal funding while President Obama was in office. Mm-hmm. Will they take that same posture now that they have a member of their own party? Uh, on Pennsylvania Ave. I think that's the open question. Because CBO, no matter what's going to happen, come end of September of this year, the, the annual deficit's going up and the debt's going up. I mean, there's no downward here. Mm-hmm. So that number is going, you know, however that number looks, is going to be put in front of the public eyes as they're dealing with the next budget and some of these issues in the holiday season. So... 
And don't forget, you have individuals like Mick Mulvaney who are in the White House who, you know, right. long when they were in Congress, used the debt ceiling as an opportunity to really promote more fiscal austerity, budget cuts. Right. Uh, what have you? He probably Again, is in conflict with the Secretary of Treasury. I would assume in I this bl- conversation. Yeah, I would say he is. And yeah. So I mean, you know, you could. I, I honestly think if you put a clean debt ceiling extension on the floor in the Congress, you're going to have enough bipartisan votes for that because Democrats, uh, at a baseline level, really just want to limit any damage or reductions in funding to non-mandatory discretionary, right. uh, non-defense spending programs. So that's where Democrats are going to be at a baseline, but can Republicans get to that point or do Republicans, uh, especially in the leadership, you know, are they okay with going back to their base and saying, we didn't use this as an opportunity to reduce spending. We kind of took the best and easiest avenue, which is to have the United States continue paying its bills. And I I think that, you know, to John's point is that this is really going to be, um, how this is going to play out is is really going to come from the direction of, uh, fiscal conservatives and the, but also the caveat is going to be how is the economy doing? If the economy is growing at even two percent, two and a half percent, because that's up a full percent from the one and a half that we're seeing, the fact is is that I don't think it's going to be as much heartburn for fiscal conservatives because of the fact the overall health of the economy is stronger, and so mm-hmm. the fact that this that it can absorb it, it can absorb it, and that that there's an opportunity for more structured debt mm-hmm. um, for the federal government. Also, you have to remember that this is a, this is a we have a president in the White House. Uh, who, in his professional life, has used structured debt uh, to, yes, to his has. benefit. And so the fact <laughs> is, is that um, he's not know, afraid of debt. Exactly, and he said that. Exactly. He said that. Uh, so conceptually, the, the the executive branch understands this from a, I think, a much more granular level than we've seen in recent history. And so that's why I think that Secretary Mnuchin's comments on we're not expecting a fight on the debt ceiling, we're not expecting uh, any kind of um, significant crisis on, on the debt ceiling being raised, I think it's probably going to stand. Well, this has been great. Thank you both, John and Darian, for being here today. Uh, it's a great opportunity to hear from a couple more folks from Brownstein who are incredible policy advisors and giving uh, our clients great advice. So again, thank you very much for this wealth of information today. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.